Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is Pastor Zach Sicilian. I'm thankful uh, tonight that I have a Savior. I'm glad that He is wonderful and glorious. I don't believe these walls would be able to contain us if we truly realized the Savior that we had. How many of you remember when He became your Savior? What a glorious day. I walked into Georgetown Baptist Church. I never had heard the name of Christ used in its proper context. But I'm glad that He knew my name. I'm glad that He became not just a Savior that morning. He became my Savior. And what a glorious thought tonight. What a glorious thought to know that the God of the universe loves you and He loves me enough to come to this earth. And to give the greatest gift known to mankind, salvation. What a wonderful gift that is. And I just wanted to give a word of testimony. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I wanted to say so tonight before I got into my message. I'm thankful for God's salvation. Without it, I wouldn't be standing here. I'm not standing here under my own power or my own talents or abilities, the only reason that I'm standing here and you're sitting in the seat where you are is because God came to us first. The love that I have for Him didn't develop within my own self-will, my own want to, my own ability. He, I only love Him because He first loved me. And I'm thankful for tonight. So that's sermon number one. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, and while you're turning, I do appreciate you being here. I know that the weather is a little frigid tonight. I know it would have been much easier to get off work and to go home to a nice warm house. Um, I'm thankful for you being here. I'm thankful for your faithfulness. We certainly do miss Pastor as he's away suffering in Jesus' name on a cruise boat. Uh, as Pastor Rory said, I will definitely pray for his safety, but I'm not going to pray that he has a good time. <laughs> I'm thankful for our pastor, and I'm thankful for this opportunity to preach. Second Kings chapter 6, we find a story, or an event rather, in the life of Elisha the prophet. Now, Elisha the prophet was the uh, successor to Elijah the prophet. And many of us are familiar with this story. And as I begin to study and as I begin to ask God where He would have me to go tonight, I turned my Bible over to 2 Kings. And one of the things that I enjoy about God's Word, and in particular about the Old Testament, is that God uses the character of men to reveal His plan and purpose for our lives. All through God's Word, you can turn and you're going to find normal human beings just like you and I are. And Elijah was no different. But even beyond that, if we set the microscope to God's Word, what I enjoy even more is to find those subjects that may be looked over in Scripture if you're not careful. And what a wonderful message in itself is that, that God, there's no big shots or little shots with God, that He cares as much for the pastor as He does for the church member, as much as uh, for the church member as He does for the man or woman that may be struggling with life circumstances. And in my Bible, I wrote in this section of 2 Kings chapter 6, I wrote two words. I wrote calm slash and chaos. And I think those are two words that we can relate to. Every one of us tonight have been in the middle, maybe even today, of a chaotic situation. 
Every one of us have been in the middle of a situation where we wish and we desired that we could find some type of peace and calm in our life. There have been times in our lives where nothing goes right. You may have walked in the doors tonight, and today could have been one of those days. Well, I'm thankful tonight to report to you that God has a calm in your chaos. That God has a way and a supply of victory in each of our lives. And in the story of Elisha tonight and his young servant, we're going to find some principles that we can apply in our own lives that will give us calm and chaos. In the verses we read tonight, we're going to meet a young servant. This young servant was a young man of faith. This young man believed God. This young man had witnessed God working in his life, yet it hadn't become personal to him yet. But in these, chapter, in these verses that we're getting ready to read, we're going to see where the victory that God has for each of us becomes personal for this young man. So just to set the setting before we start to read, we find Elijah and his young servant. Elijah had been, Elijah had been getting a word from God. He had been getting visions of victory and he had been relaying them to the king of Israel. God had been revealing the plans of the enemy to Elisha, and Elijah would then tell the king, and then the king would order the affairs to ensure victory. Well, eventually, the king of Syria began to realize that there had to have been a spy in the camp. He said, every move I make, Israel seems to know what I'm going to do before I do it. And so he gathers all his men up. And he says, all right, I need to know which one of you are the spy. He said, before we leave, I'm going to find out who the traitor is. And one of the men spoke up and said, King, it's, it's not any of us. But God has a prophet in Israel. And God is revealing to him every one of your plans. So this king comes up with a plan that he must get his hands on Elijah in order to win over the victory of Israel. And that's where we pick up here in verse 13 of 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's read. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? This young servant was saying, we are in a tight spot now. What in the world are we going to do? And Elisha answered. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. Would you join me in prayer as we start to dig into God's Word? Father, I'm so thankful for Your Word. Father, it will have to be the center of tonight's sermon. Father, for if I'm the center of tonight's sermon, these folks will leave disappointed. They will leave empty. God, they will leave unchanged. But Holy Spirit, I ask God right now, God, that You would anoint this time. God, that You would hide me behind the cross of Your Son. God, that my words would not be heard. God, that my actions would not be seen. But Father, that Your Word would sink into all of our hearts. God, that You would weld into us, God, the assurance of victory, God, that we have in You tonight. God, may Your will 
and way be done. In Jesus' name, amen. As I read these verses, I thought about the wonderful opportunity that this young man had. Of all the things that he must have witnessed, he witnessed the waters that were healed. Uh, He witnessed the uh, miracle of the widow's oil, the vessel. He witnessed all of these wonderful workings of God, and I thought about all the things that he must have had to write home about. But in these verses, we find instead of him writing home, we find God writing a message on his heart. And if I could title that message that God gave that young man, it would be calm amid the chaos and gaining a victorious vision. In the verses we read tonight, we see that God's Word draws a comparison. We see two different perspectives. Both were perspectives of faith. Both believed in God. Both were God's servants. But we had two different perspectives of the same circumstance. We see that we had chaos versus calm. We had faith versus fear. We had despair versus dependence on the divine. We had a perspective of the seen circumstance versus the unseen providential hand of God. You see, these perspectives are much like the perspectives that you and I have. The perspectives that we can look at life circumstances, the ups and downs of life, the battles that we all face. Because here's the reality. We look at these verses, the battle came to both. The battle came to Elijah. The battle came to the young servant. It wasn't the fact that the battle came. It was how each of them perceived the battle they faced. And you and I are no different. Bad days will come to each of us. Struggles. Marriage difficulties. Financial difficulties. Anxiety. Depression, those are things that you don't hear behind pulpits much, but guess what? They happen to Christians too. And it's not whether they're going to come, it's how we react. It's the vision, it's our perception of life's trials, because the Bible clearly tells us that it's going to rain on the just and unjust. It's going to happen to each of us. And tonight I want to look into God's Word and see some steps that Elijah had taken in his life and how it affected this young servant to gain a victorious vision. Now before we get into the main body, we need to realize that before Elijah had gained this victory in verses 13 through 18, we must realize that Elijah had meant some prerequisites for victory. I won't read for the sake of time, but you can turn back to chapter 2 and look at Elijah's calling. When Elijah found Elisha, I'm going to reverse those all night tonight, so you're just going to have to help on the, ask the Lord to help you for which one I meant. But when Elisha was called, Elijah found him plowing in a field. And the first thing prerequisite that we find that Elisha had to meet to gain this victory we find in chapter 6 is he had to be all in. The Bible tells us in chapter 2 that Elijah called Elisha and the first thing he did, he took his hand off a plow. He moved from what he was doing into God's purpose for his life. And not only did Elijah take his hand off of the plow, but he burnt the plow. And he burnt the oxen that along with it. He said, I'm not just taking my hand off this plow, but I'm going to show God that I am all in. And let me say tonight, if we want to gain victory in our life, you can be halfway with God. The Bible clearly tells us that no man can serve two masters. And as long tonight as you're holding back a portion of your life, I guarantee you that will be the portion that you suffer defeat. Elijah was all in. We must be all in one with salvation. 
I can't expect victory in my life until I know the victory of the cross. I can come to church. I can read my Bible. I can memorize Scripture. I can have my name on the roll of the church. But neither or any of those things will ensure my victory in this life. The first victory that you must win is submission to the cross of Calvary. You must know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to be all in. And then secondly, you must submit to salvation, not only, but you must submit to service to God. God wants all of you tonight. God wants every corner of your heart. God wants every page in your story. And if we are going to experience victory, we must, just like Elisha, be all in. Does God have all of you tonight? May it be the reason that you're facing defeat today is because God doesn't have all of you. Not only was a prerequisite of Elijah being all in, but Elijah had an audacious faith. When Elijah decided, I'm giving my all to God, the next thing he did, he said, I don't just want what Elijah had, I want a double portion of it. Can you imagine the audacity? He said, I just do not want to be a normal Christian. I want a double portion of it. And not only was Elisha audacious in his faith, God was audacious in his request, in his reply. Not only did he ask for it, but he got it. And may I say tonight, one of the prerequisites or maybe one of the beginning reasons why we don't experience victory in our life is because we don't ask for it. The times in my life where I have been discouraged, when I have struggled with depression, many of those times, the last thing that I did was ask for help. Be audacious in your request. If you need victory tonight, ask for it. Too often we want to fix our own problems. We want to fix our own selves. And God's standing there waiting just to hear that request. Elijah was all in. Elijah was audacious. But Elijah had a, Elisha had a sure word. The very direction of Elisha's life was not steered by the circumstances, was not blown to and fro from the winds of change, but he was a man of the Word. Elisha had received a sure word and he acted upon that. And tonight may I say that each one of us, as you sit here listening to my voice, directly in your lap or in your hands, you hold a sure word. Every promise in that book is true. Every statement, every letter can be relied upon fully in our lives. And it has promised us victory. When I was in school and I had a book report, Landon, close your ears, son. I would read the back of the book. I would read the beginning and I would read the end and then I would just summarize everything. Well, can I say tonight that I've read the back of the book and victory is ours. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to attend a church to get it. All I have to do is to believe it. It's mine. I don't have to fight the battle. All I have to do is live in the victory that's already been won. So we see Elisha was all in, that he had audacity of faith, and he had a sure word. But within these verses, let's quickly look at some principles in his life that affected this young servant. Number one, I want us to look at the problem that they faced. The problem that they faced. Elijah was pursued by an enemy. We read that there was a great host after him. 
We read that there were horses and chariots. We read that they came by night, that they were mighty in number, that they were a multitude. The Bible says they compassed about these two men. Have you ever felt surrounded in your life? Have you ever felt like on every corner, no matter which way you turn, there is an obstacle? There is an obstruction? Well, that's exactly the situation. Now, why did the king of Syria opt to do this? He could have easily snuck in while they were asleep and took Elisha. See, the king of Syria was wanting to send a message. He was operating through the optics of oppression. The king of Syria knew who Elisha was. He knew he was God's man. And he knew that he couldn't touch him. The king of Syria was well familiar with the power of God and the power of Elisha's life. So the only option that the king of Syria had was he knew that he couldn't necessarily touch God's man, but he could discourage him. And he said, if I come with him and surround him with a mighty host, if I come with him with horses and chariots, letting him know that I could attack at any time, then maybe he'll give up. Maybe I won't have to go to him because he'll come to me. May I, may I say tonight our enemy works the same way. Tonight if you're here and you are a child of God and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, our enemy can't touch us. We are protected by God's unseen hand. But what our enemy does seek to do is he seeks to oppress us through the optics of our circumstances. Our enemy seeks to overwhelm us with his numbers. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? This is too much. I can't handle this anymore. Have you ever felt outnumbered? All of us have been there. The enemy cannot take away your victory. But you can give your victory to the enemy. God has won the victory for each of us. All I have to do is place my faith in the unseen hand that's protecting me. Elijah faced a problem. Now each of us face problems. Each of us are oppressed by optics. But if we are to remain calm, if we are to gain that victorious vision in our life, we must be able to discern the enemy for what he is. Is he powerful? Absolutely. But he is not all power. Can he discourage? Yes. But he does not have control over my mind and heart. We have the victory. We discern the tactics of the enemy. We discern who the enemy is. Secondly, let's look at the perspective of Elijah and the young servant. In verses 13 through 16, you notice the Bible mentions a particular place. The particular place where this happened, where these two perceptions happened, was Dothan. Now here's what Dothan means. Dothan means two. Two wells, two tables, or two roads. See, the city of Dothan was an intersection in an ancient interstate, if you would say. It was a crossroads. You say, Zach, why are, all, why are you telling us all that? Because each of us 
have a crossroads with every circumstance. Each of us can choose to drink from one well or the other. The well of fear, alas, what shall we do? Or I can drink from the well of faith, fear not. There's another event that happened in Dothan. Genesis chapter 37. Joseph was thrown in the pit in Dothan. God's telling us through these verses tonight that there are two perspectives that will control our lives. You think about it, a well and a table. What does that speak of? Water and food. The two motivating factors in life, especially in biblical times. If I was going to choose to go to a city, it would be if it had good water and it was some type of way to feed my family. So those were motivating factors. And each of us here tonight are allowing our lives to be motivated, motivated by one or two things. Faith or fear. We're allowing every decision we make, every comment that comes out of our mouth, our prayer life, our Bible reading life, our church life, our marriage, our relationship with our children come from one of those two things. And listen, God's design for you is not to operate your life out of fear. What did Paul tell Timothy? God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of a sound mind and of love. God's design for each of us is not to sit down at the table of fear. Is not to allow fear to override my soul and begin to affect my relationships. You know, I, my parents, David and Denise Olson, just, I believe it was, was it Monday they flew out? Monday they flew out to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has sustained just disaster after disaster. They've had earthquakes, and if an earthquake wasn't enough, they would have volcano eruptions. This poor country is just being ravaged by chaos. And as I was speaking to her on the phone last night, she and Pastor alluded to it Sunday morning, that these earthquakes would have aftershocks. And every time that an aftershock will happen down there, and one happened just when I was on the phone with my mother. And she said the people, when they feel those aftershocks, it's, they relive the whole quake again. They begin to just weep and to cry in fear. And I thought, my goodness, how much is that like our lives? You know, some of your earthquakes, your disasters, your chaos happened years ago. You've got a hard past. You've got a hurtful past. And you've never given it to the Lord. You haven't gained victory. And every now and then, when you sit down to read your Bible, when Wednesday nights when you come into church, you feel one of those aftershocks. And it strikes fear into your heart. You feel a rumbling. Can I say... God's love cast out all fear. That I do not have to worry. That I do not have to be frightened from, about my future. Because God has already written my story. I've read the end of the book. There's going to be hard times. Difficult times. Trying times to my faith. But God has secured our victory. Not only do we see the problem they faced, not only did we see the perspectives here, but we also see the prayer for the young servant. Read with me in verse 17. What was this catalyst? that secured the victory? What was this catalyst that changed this young servant's vision from one of fear to one of victory? 
And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. You see, before that prayer, that young man only had partial sight. He could see the enemy, but he couldn't see God's hand. And prayer was that catalyst. Prayer is what held the power to bring the unseen things and plans of God to a tangible result on earth. My goodness, what power, what promise, what privilege we forfeit at the feet of our enemies because we don't pray. Are you having a hard time at work? Pray about it. Are you, ha- are you worried about your children? Pray for them. Prayer releases the power of God in our lives. Anytime one of our children come to us, no matter how big or how small, it matters to us. How much more does our Heavenly Father? So what, Pastor Zach, I- there's just so much to pray about, and I just don't feel like I could even take this to God. I, I don't think it's important. Can I tell you, there's a God in heaven that is sitting on the edge of His throne awaiting your request. How often do I sit back in defeat? How often do I sit back in discouragement and God's on the edge of His throne? Just ask. Just ask. We find ourselves too ashamed to pray. Oftentimes, I don't pray about my problems because I don't want to hear myself say what my problems are. I don't like to pray about anxiety because I don't want to say I've got it. I don't want to pray about worry. I don't want to hear myself. There's sometimes the problem's me. And I don't want to hear myself say that. It's, that's the power of prayer. Not only was there a double perspective, but there's a double power in prayer. That as I make my request, as I confess my weaknesses to the Heavenly Father, He exchanges those with victory. Have you talked to the Lord today? Are you feeling defeated? Discouraged? Depressed? Prayer can change all that. There's nothing better than talking to a parent when you're having a bad day. I love my wife and she's my rock. She's who I go to first. But can I say there's nothing better than when I call my mom or dad and I just confess how bad my day went. Just instantly. They don't have to say nothing, but it gets it off of my chest. That's the dynamic of prayer. That's the dynamic effect of prayer. Is not only is it asking for help, asking help for my circumstances, but it's confession of my own weaknesses. And when I decrease, when I realize my weakness and I confess that to God, He will increase. It's not my strength. It's not your strength. It's the power of God. Who opened this young man's eyes? Did it say, Elisha, opened this young man's eyes. He said, the Lord. He said, well, Pastor Zach, this is great, but I'm not just, I'm not having a bad day. Everything's fine. So was Elisha. 
Elijah saw it. Elijah had victory. Elisha chose to intercede on behalf of another's victory. Do you know a true telltale sign of someone that has overcome and is living in victory? They're eager to take someone else with them. Why is it that the things that we have struggled with in the past, those are the things that we're harder on when other people are going through it? Why do we cast a shadow of doubt? Why do we cast a shadow of judgment on someone that's often struggling with the same things that we are? If you want to grab the heart of God, you intercede on behalf of another. Just before service, I ask them to put a picture up here on the screen as a lesson to us what intercession really means. Now parents, this is at camp. None of you will probably allow me to take your children to camp now that you see this picture. But this is the obstacle course. And when the children, this is one of the last stops, and they come upon this 10-foot wall. And none of them can overcome it by themselves. We don't tell them to do it. We don't instruct them to do it. Automatically, they begin to intercede on behalf of another. If you want to know what intercessory prayer looks like, you have ones that have yet to overcome lifting one up, and those that have already overcome this wall reaching down to pull that one up. God's Designed for prayer is intercession. You say, my husband's living a defeated life. My wife is living a defeated life. My child has been defeated by addiction. My child is suffering from depression. Intercede on their behalf. We can pray victory into someone else's life. Elisha did. Not through my own ability, but through the power and working of the Holy Spirit and prayer. And may I say tonight, say, Brother Zach, I don't have anyone to intercede. No one's interceding on my behalf. Can I say that you've been interceded for? The Bible tells us that Christ interceded for every one of us. Christ had made a plea on behalf of someone else. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says this, Wherefore He is able also to save to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. 1 John 5 4 tells us this, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Because Christ has interceded on my behalf, He ever lives, not just intercedes, but He is interceding on our behalf. Because He lives, I can face the battle. Right now, as you speak, right in the heat of the moment, in the midst of your oppression, our Savior is going to God the Father on your behalf. And God the Father, on His Son's behalf, is ordering your steps. That there is a sovereign plan. There is a sufficient protection in your life that was given to us through the intercession of the cross. The enemy cannot touch that. All He can do is blind us to that fact. 1 John 5.4 tells me that victory is my birthright. Victory doesn't come because I'm a preacher. Victory doesn't come 
because I'm a good person. Victory doesn't come because I earn it. Victory comes because through the cross, I have been born in Christ. Don't sell out your birthright. Don't give away the victory that God has given you. We've seen the power of prayer. The prayer and the plea on the other behalf. But we see that prayer changed their position. Let's read verses 16 through 18 one more time. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses. Note, just one quick note. Note that exactly what was surrounding them by the enemy, God surrounded Elijah with even more. Where there were mighty men, there was an almighty force. Where there were chariots and horses, with God there was chariots and fire. So God meant the obstruction in the circumstance with much greater force. God is able to win our victory. Moving on to verse 18. And when they came down to him, Elijah prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people. I pray thee with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. Elijah's prayer and the young man seeing the power and the promise of God changed their position from, an offense, from a defense position to offensive. No longer were they worried. No longer were they surrounded. But the Bible tells us in the following verses that Elijah allowed them to come to him and he led them away because they were blind. God has not called us to be on defense. You know, I thought about when I used to coach Landon and Wyatt in basketball when they were a lot younger. They were just starting out four and five. And as they would run up and down the court, I would have to run along the sidelines and say, you're on offense now. You're on offense. To remind them what their position was. And I feel... When God looks down at my life sometimes and He sees me feeling defeated, He sees me discouraged, He wants to stand up and say, you're on offense. The Bible tells us to press toward the mark. The Bible has called us to advance. The Bible has called us to advance the gospel, the kingdom. He has called us to advance in prayer and in my Bible reading. Yet we find ourselves playing defense to the enemy every day. God has called us to be proactive in our victory. That I don't have to shrink away. I don't have to be ashamed. That I can approach God through the throne room. Boldly. How are you living your life? Are you on offense? Or are you on defense? Prayer can change your position. I can be on offense because my defense is divine. Elijah had no power within himself. Matter of fact, if you read a physical description of him in a historical context, he wasn't even much to look at. Elijah did not have a lot of talent. You see, there was more than meets the eye with Elijah. The greatest lie that you ever be told in your Christian life that you're not enough. This battle is bigger than you. This struggle is stronger than you are. And you know, really, that's a lie that has been whispered since the beginning of time. Why did Eve succumb to the temptation of Satan? 
Because he said, you're not enough. He said, Eve, if you eat of this tree, you can be more than what God created you to be. He was implying the idea that Eve wasn't enough as God had created her. And tonight I believe that the enemy is defeating us and keeping us from a victorious vision because he's convinced you that you're not enough. Do you know what makes a believable lie? That there's an element of truth in it. And here's the truth, I'm not enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. The enemy has an advantage if I'm by myself. But whatsoever is born of God is born to overcome. I thought about David. David and Goliath is one of my favorite stories. David's father didn't think he was enough. The prophet Samuel tried to anoint someone else. Samuel didn't think David was enough. David made it to the battlefield and his brothers told him, you're not enough. David made it to the tent of Saul. And Saul said, you're not enough. David made it to the point in front of Goliath, and Goliath said, you're not enough. But David knew his strength did not come from the stone. His strength did not come from his height or stature or strength. He knew his strength and his victory was secure in God. I'm going to ask you to stand tonight. They're going to come to the piano. I'm going to play softly for just a moment. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and to close their eyes. How many would join me in saying, I'm facing a battle that's bigger than me? Say, Pastor Zach, would you pray for me? I'm facing a battle. I need victory in tonight. I need help in. Every point of my life, I feel like I'm surrounded. I'm going to invite you to come right now. A sermon can't give you victory. A song can't give you victory. But there's victory in prayer tonight. As these are coming, there was a songwriter. This man wrote many gospel songs, many of them we sing right here at Trinity. Midway through his career, while he was traveling across the country, he suffered a massive stroke. He could no longer sing. He could no longer write. Anything that he would write, he would have to write through the hand of his spouse. 1932, two years before he died, on a crumpled up piece of paper, this songwriter wrote the song, Victory in Jesus. The battle he faced was bigger than him. But in the midst of his battle, he chose to sit at the table of faith rather than fear. Father, we're grateful, God, for the victory that we find in you. Lord, we thank you for your help tonight. We thank you for the spirit that we have felt. Now, Father, I ask, God, as we walk out those doors, 
God, that we would have the perspective of victory. God, that we're living in faith and not fear. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. Touch every family. Touch every home. And be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when He speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have Him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.